At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, ARG, John and Aaron, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Patrick Randolph, Eric Canales, Frodo NL, Glenn Hewitt, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Richard Lorbieski, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Terry Steen, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the only show in the world featuring David Ladd. It's time to grease your weasel and do whatever you please, because we're about to rock your 8 bit world. Everybody. Hello. 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 <laughs> Greetings, Earthlings. <laughs> All right. Good night. Thank you for joining us. Good night. Oh, that's How it. Oh, well. <laughs> that was Roll the outro. Well, I guess we could start with some uh, some quick intro, and then we'll uh, catch up on all these acquisitions and updates that we've been blowing off for the last two weeks. Gotcha. So, my top corner, the normal streamer, Stevie Stroh. Why, hello. I am so excited to be here today. You know what I've been doing all week? I've been loading from cassette, and it's been amazing. This <laughs> <laughs> okay. is the year of the cassette. <laughs> yep. Uh, next up, uh, Marco. Marco Overholster. Glad to be here. All right. Next over, we get uh, Danny O'Connor. Hello, everybody from down under and everybody around the world. Huh. Okay. Next over, Nick Maroda. Hello, everybody. Happy to be here. Did I get that pronounced right? Yeah, pretty 
Good enough. Yeah, it's good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, everyone. Looking forward to the show today. I don't know why. <laughs> Someone Which show? <laughs> Which it's show was that? That was good for a nap. All right. Next over on the Hollywood Squares, uh, Jason Record, maker of all things switches. Oh, yes. And I've got my Diet Dr. Pepper. We're ready to go. And uh, since this is Hollywood Squares, I'll take Nick Marota to block. Okay. What, what's the question? <laughs> okay. Next over, Brian Weasler. Maybe. He's muted. Well, he's got he's his mask Brian, on. So he's pretty muted. muted. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I am. Sorry, that was not ready there. So, yeah, doing a little uh, Coco Corona free. So, <laughs> put my uh, 40 years of Coco uh, face mask there. So. You get a lime oh! for that Corona face mask? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a Coco face mask. Where'd you get that from? Uh, that would be from Neil Blanchard. Oh, cool. There, I was going to try to. There it is. Nah, I was yep, trying to find the right go. button here to blow it up. Oh, very there. nice. 40 Thanks. years of awesome. <laughs> Did it come with a free 12-pack like, of Corona beer is my question. Yeah, that was me like 12 <laughs> years ago, 40 years of awesome. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right, next over, line feed character turn, Patrick Uland. Oh, say, I'm still waiting on shipment from China, so thought I'd see what you guys got. Must be coming by submarine, right? Apparently. <laughs> All right, next over, we got uh, Brian Schubring, the music man. Muted again, maybe? The muted man nope. today, apparently. The muted yeah. man, Brian. The he has manipulated his man. voice outside the range of human hearing. That's right. <laughs> it's all rests. Well, all right, next, next over, we got uh, Ron Elvo. Hi, everybody. Doing good? Right. Good to be here. All right, uh, next, uh, R. Allen Murphy. Howdy, howdy, everyone. Hey, Allen. All right. Arr. Character turn, line <laughs> feed. Snoopy Malibu. Greetings and sanitations. <laughs> <laughs> that's what my oh, user's way ahead of you on that one. I would never get told. You guys switch places hello. on me. That's a clean hello. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and We're next sorry. up, uh, David Ladd. Why? Hello, today? Mark. How's oh. everybody doing? Are you all excited for today's episode? I know I am. We got lots of stuff that everybody's <laughs> waiting to share with you. Let's see what they have. Anybody else's win- so, anybody else's so, windows shatter? <laughs> Coming in a little hot there, David. My ears are caffeine there. My headphones are permanently welded to my ears yeah. now. Yeah, David, you, David, you're cut off. You've had you've had too many. <laughs> Definitely and wasn't drinking caffeine free this morning. I I'm sorry. That. I've only had four liters of Diet Dr Pepper <laughs> so far. Wow. Oops. Wow. Okay. Um, and last but not least, uh, Nick Mariantes. 
Hey, everyone. I was enthused, but uh, yeah, uh, the last view, I've just lost it all. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll talk about your games, Nick. That'll pep you up. Ah, okay. <laughs> talk about his game sales. That really peps or him up. Nitrous 9. Talk about Nitrous 9 and trash cans. <laughs> the, rub- the rubbish bin, yeah. The trash can, yep. Well, hey, how about we uh, jump into um, acquisitions and updates? And you know what? We don't have an intro for this. That's a segment we do almost every week. We don't even have an intro for it. I you are the intro, sir. I might have, to, <laughs> might have to do something like that. Organize something for it. What do you reckon? We welcome go. to projects and acquisitions. Okay. Yes. Tell Content you what, uh, segments always welcome. Dun, dun. So from the list I have, uh, Stevie, what you got for us today? Okay. Well, I was very pleased to receive something in the mail. Turns out it came from the lovely Sarah, who is the mm-hmm. significant other of the lovely Jason, the Cocoa Man. Ooh. And it is, um, this needs to be in the swag shop. But what I got, <laughs> look at this. It is. Fire. <laughs> uh, that's cool. And it's a little, it's like <laughs> kind of vinyl. It's kind of it's soft. It's 3D rendition of our, of our mascot. Yes, yes. This is the 3D print of Cocoa Talk right here. It's <laughs> and it's got fire. wheels. Yeah, it's got wheels and uh, 100% soft, just like our show, right? So uh, (laughs) so thank you, Sarah and Jason, for this. I am so excited to play with my dumpster fire. (laughs) Does it light up? He's a happy little fire. He is. He's smiling. He's like, listen, this is a shite show, but I'm happy to be here. That's right. Thank you, Sarah and Jason. Yes. Hey, Ken, Riker and I are both up. asking, does that light up? No, no, it's just, it's soft plastic. It's, um, oh, okay. it's, you can't like get to it. It could be modified to put a LED yeah, or something there, it, but it's, it's so nice. LED I don't want to mess with it. Yeah. Yeah. Not a cocoa project, but it could be. Fair enough. All right. Uh, next up, uh, uh, Jason, what you got? Oh, what do I, I have can find here. you again. There you are. Uh, I'm, I'm, did you, there, you found me. Look at that. Yep, Look at found that. You. All right. All right. Um, well, this kind of goes, this kind of goes with the trend of last week. And this was something I had in the works for a while, but I've, uh, I've managed to acquire about a dozen 60 minute Sony cassette tapes. I've got two different types here. I, although I think they're both normal bias, but just your you mm. blue, blue, blue and gray, I guess. Um, the new and older ones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there we go. Only Nick I'll eventually and, uh, get it facing the right way. You can see how prepared I am. It went, at least one has hmm. to be upside down. There we go. I got those. Not I could use them in my cocoa. I'm probably not going to use them in my cocoa because I have that whole stack of like eleven C twenties, but these are actually going to be used in my and I've actually already used one of them in my uh, in my Coleco Atom and successfully made a digital data pack with which what they call their cassettes from a file I got from the internet, which is a whole ordeal that I won't even get into here since this is an Adam talk, but uh, that's, so that was kind of cocoa related. And then the other thing I got here, let's see here, we can do this. I got, uh, and this, this is, this is in the new category of gift, gift acquisitions, I guess, like, like Stevie had there. And, uh, what I have here is I have, um, this, this was a gift from, uh, from Sarah's parents and they got me a ricochet color, color tv game center mm-hmm. so basically it's a color a color pong pong set which is which is pretty which is pretty neat but uh I have, have you tried it yet i have tried it yes i have tried it um and it came with the owner's manual 
which is pretty cool. I haven't really looked, and it has one. It has one of these things, which is this is <laughs> this is about what it's good right. for. Is hey, here it is. That's uh, total yes, retro. Total, total, total retro. And yes, I even get the actual thing up here, and you can see that it has a uh, very wood grain. Simulated, I love that simulated simulated wood grain. Let me actually genuine turn it on here. I'm actually I'm actually prepared. I've got the technology. I've even got a remote for this now, and. And nothing. Oh, let's see. Oh, there we go. Do you check the batteries? Well, I actually have it plugged in. So, so we have. Wow. It even even that's, has a, that's a heck of a big controller for Pong. I know it's like it's. it's I think this might be the record for the largest Pong controllers ever. But it does. Uh, where it's all kinds of buttons too. I've got all kinds of options. This is like the most options I've ever seen. Pro speed, normal, in English pro, serve manual, racket pro, color court, uh, power and sound on and off. But I, I just thought it was, uh, thought it was kind of unique. It's only the only second color pong machine I've ever, I've, I have. Um, and is that real wood grain finish of the period? I think it is. I, from what I can tell, it is genuine. Simulated imitation, uh, demi- <laughs> yeah, genuine imitation simulated wood grain. Cool, nice <laughs> pearl. Total seventies. Yeah, I let me get, yeah, it even has. See the other, the other, uh, the other uh, player is, I guess, that orange oh, doubles. color. Doubles, yeah, uh, double, double, double. It's kind of hard to see here on camera, but uh, it's just uh, just RF no, channel three or four out. That's pretty cool. It's nice, it's nice that this actually doubles as a TV. This this television I actually picked up. I picked it up in Florida actually, but it has. It has like every input I would need. It's got RF, it's got uh, composite or composite, and um, RGB and DVI, not DVI, uh, HDMI. Oh, nice! All, ki- all kinds of all kinds of options. So, hmm. oh, and it has a DVD player, and it has uh, you know, PC uh, v- SVGA. So, oh, that's, that's nice. nice. So when we're talking about the TV, still not the Ricochet game, right? Right, right. Yeah, just making sure. High res color pong, right? Yeah, <laughs> with the DVDs are pretty big. I mean, a DVD would fit inside that controller, so I was wondering. Yeah, no, there's actually a DVD player in the TV. You can put the disc in the side, but you know, so and Pong in 1080p. <laughs> yeah, 1080p. Pong. <laughs> and um, I think that's yeah, I think that's that's all I had for today. But I thought this was pretty cool, and uh, you know, Sarah's parents got this for me. Right. I, was, I was surprised. It's pretty cool. But uh, for my and I'd seen, I know where they got it. They got it from my favorite consignment store. But I had seen it. And then, they know you well. Oh yes, yeah. More, more, more stuff from the eighties here, in well, maybe the seventies. Yeah, seventies, I would say. Controllers are seventies, right? When all there yeah, is is yeah, pong, yeah. what can you do with it? Yeah, it's well, like <laughs> how much you have. We have uh, ricochet. We have ricochet, hockey, tennis, and racquetball. Those are our four variations, and we have uh, we have different types of serve. We have the pro slam, the pro English, and the manual serve. It's like, and I hit the pro. I'm sorry to do this, but when I when I hit the pro slam, it goes really fast. <laughs> it, just, it just flies and you have to hold it down so it's like you could vary the speed so it's just it's very very it's unique but again like genuine pong you know it's coming right out of it's coming the sounds coming right out of the unit so huh. that's high tech pong oh high tech indeed but that's uh that's all i had is it that's uh, awesome is it is it discrete logic inside or does it has a processor yeah, it doesn't seem to be uh, discrete logic. Um, you know, the only thing I did was open it up to clean up, put some uh, put some deoxide on a cup uh, on the pots because they were a little dirty. But I didn't really get into the whole thing. I was going to take the one board out, and I actually have to take the knob off 
and it wasn't coming off easily and I didn't see a screw or anything. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to break anything. So I just, I just it's left probably it got an LSI chip in there because there's no way you can get that much discrete logic in there for the size. Right. Right. I have to say mm. on, on that TV, the, the upscaling and anti-aliasing on it looks incredible. So, and this was, like, was this was a TV DVD combo. I bought it. Like I bought it Goodwill for like 15 bucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> And the DVD works too, right? Yes, it does. That's actually how I tested it at the DV at the Goodwill store. I found the DVDs and I found like a copy of like Airplane Two. I'm like, yeah, it works. That's one of the good things about being in retro. You know, people get rid of these TVs because they're like, I can't use these inputs anymore. So they give the right. TVs away pretty much. Yeah, we're like, yeah, yeah okay, okay I'll, I'll take it. I guess I could use it. And it even has a digital <laughs> tuner in it. I could I could do digital over the air TV with this if I really wanted to, but I, I don't need to. But I could. Well, you kind of have to have these f- almost free or free TVs now to make up for the fact that the Cocos have gone up so much in price there. Now you can get a two exactly. for, for about the same price. Yeah, $200 Coco connects to a $20 TV. Yeah, it needs to be the other <laughs> way around. Oh, $20 yeah. TV. Yeah. Slow down there, Rockefeller. That's how much I got the TV for, 20 bucks. What can I say? Oh, that was, oh, that was 20, 20 Canadian dollars. Okay, that probably is about 15 Ah, <laughs> so. uh, it's probably right. Yeah. Pretty close, pretty close. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> Okay, next up we have Danny. Okay. What do you have for Um, us today? I was going through some of my stuff uh, during the week, just doing a big clean-up. And I'll just zoom in my camera a little bit here. I think I have preset 2 set up, yep. Um, In all my stuff, I found this... uh, See if we can get that in there. 3CN, that was our computer news. That was our our local computer club in the 80s. That's one of the newsletters from it there. Um, It's got all sorts of things. It's got articles, 64K upgrade articles, program listings, um, all printed on on, uh, Tandy printers. So uh, there's program listings there. So, yeah, it was a bit of a blast from the past to find an actual, all the phone numbers and everything there too and, and everything else. So from my original uh, computer club. So there's that one. Um, also amongst everything there, I found a couple of hot cocoa magazines. So that one is from um, August 1984. And this I remember one that cover. Ah. I remember that cover too. Yeah, July. Yeah, July and August '84. So those two. Um, Yeah, I had those. And this one here, Australian cocoa. That's like an Australian version of. It's once again, it's got listings and heaps and heaps and heaps of type it in listings, ads and whatnot. But um, yeah, that's uh, one of our Australian cocoa publications. Why didn't they call it Cocoa Burra? (laughs) <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> um, and also I found a whole lot of my own tech notes. Um, I've got an original sheet there with some... I was probably not going to show up that well. That's got a schematic on it for a um, Atari to uh, Coco joystick adapter. Um, that's my uh, hand-drawn notes for all the, um, all the characters from 0 to 255. Uh, because I did things like that in 1984 when I was bored in high school and sitting in class and had nothing to do. I'd write out a character <laughs> chart for the Coco. <laughs> um, 
and also some other notes that I've written there. That's just uh, some cheap, uh, shortcut notes about uh, lines and circles and, and the, the commas and what the numbers are after each of the commas and whatnot. But the thing that I'm most excited to find is this little piece of hardware that I actually designed and built in the, in the 80s. It has an audio input on the side. It has a Coco joystick output on the other side. It's got a level control and a gain control and some switches and a bias adjustment. And what it basically does, you can either take an audio input and convert it to a joystick DC offset output from 0 to 63, and you can do things like turn your Coco into an oscilloscope and plot audio waveforms, and um, you can feed any, any basically um, signal into that input, and it'll convert it into a varying output that is directly compatible with the, uh, the Coco joystick. Um, and there's a couple of sample programs, and that's the schematic for it. It's pretty straightforward. Could you increase the resolution by using both joystick ports? Um, yeah, look, and, and if I had been really smart about it and looked into how Steve Bjork and, you know, did the, uh, and, and Nick, you did that, I think, too, didn't you, that the high-res on the on the joystick ports, if I'd have been smart enough back yeah. then, I could have probably uh, made it high-res, but it's certainly probably compatible with it because it's basically a, a fully continuous zero to five-fold output, which then the Coco just looks at and converts that into digital source anyway. So uh, it should actually work, in theory, with the high-res um, yeah, routine, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's pretty much. I mean, there's just a few other little bits and pieces. Some uh, what else have I got? Here? Oh yeah, one of my first serious um, program listings that I I made up to uh, to uh, write to and from a cassette. Talking of cassettes, it's a, a word processor program that I wrote, and uh, you type it on the screen, and then you can tell it to dump the screen onto a cassette and load that back later on, and yeah, so. That's uh, basically it for my. If I just pull my camera back so you can see my face, probably a bit more. Uh, there we go. Yeah, that's probably pretty much it for my updates and acquisitions this week. So. Okay, well, thank you. And. Okay. Um, next on the list, uh, Sloopy. Um, the only thing I really have is, uh, I got my, uh, wireless earbuds working so that I don't have to, uh, echo everything, echo everything, echo everything. And, uh, <laughs> I've got a clean desk. What is that? I've never seen that before. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I didn't realize it, but come. my desk is actually made of wood. <laughs> <laughs> Not simulated so, wood grain. Oh. Yeah, it's real wood. But, I just uh, thought my desk was made yeah, out of cocoa because well, uh, that's all I've ever seen on it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I uh, unfortunately, um, shipping has delayed everything. Um, my new um, drive wire boards were supposed to come in yesterday, but the um, uh, customs in New York felt that they wanted to uh, hold them because I think they wanted to... Uh, make some for their own cocos. So. But yeah, hopefully uh, early next week I'll be able to get those boards in and then uh, the uh, other boards that I was working on, uh, there was a design error. Evidently there's a difference between uh, SAE and metric sizing. So 
they were not uh, usable, so I have to reorder with uh, correct sizing for the components. So hopefully next week I will have something better to display than a clean desk. Cool. So it's taking a while for 2020 to clear out is what we're all saying here. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. Brian Weasler. Surely you've got something this week. <laughs> yeah, actually, I actually have some uh, joysticks that I've been getting uh, over the past few months, and I really haven't shown um, shown any of them. But uh, to start with, uh, we're all familiar with the uh, the black uh, Black Beauty joystick. There, um, I always like trying to collect the different uh, versions of uh, of joysticks that are out there, and uh, so this is the just the good old black beauty. It's the, you know, the 26, uh, 30, And it's just your, you know, it's a regular joystick that we're all, all familiar with. And I've been trying to get some in the boxes and stuff. And that's, uh, cause I have, a, I obviously have some with the, uh, that are out, but, uh, the next one I wanted to get was, uh, basically it's the same joystick, but they probably made some little modification, but it is a, a, so a 26, 30, a of the box. So I was just trying to collect the different boxes. Uh, that were available. The difference between the uh, metal versus the uh, plastic stick? Nope. This is still your uh, black plastic stick on this one here. So you can... uh, I noticed there are a couple different shapes of plastic sticks. Some were tapered to bottom. Uh, well, some uh, say tandy, and some say Radio Shack, and then they? some go straight down. Like I have a couple, I have a few, I have a few different black bees, and I seem to yeah, recognize a one, couple different shapes of the stick. Yeah, these here both seem to be tapered. Uh, let's see here, see here. Yeah, so like what Curtis was pointing out there, yes, that's correct. Uh, this does say Radio Shack on the outside of the box. Okay. And then the uh, the A says Tandy. Yeah, and I think the, the black the plastic actually might say the same thing too on the top of it the probably, joystick. On the, yep, on the front of it there. Are we sure the A <laughs> model isn't a Canadian model? A? It's spelled it wrong. It's a joystick. Joystick. Coco Joystick, eh? Coolure Joystick. And then here's a, this is a much larger box you can see in, in comparison. And uh, this is the uh, metal joysticks that you're uh, just asking about. The so this, uh, this, the black uh, versus the plastic there. I, I'll pull them out there, but they're already nicely packed inside their box there. But uh, oh, we've, all, we've, nice. all, we've all seen that box. And Still then my one favorite because you can screw it and use it with a thumb. That's awesome. Oh, okay. Do you have an extra one you want to get rid of? <laughs> uh, a metal one? I may. I may. I know you and I spoke about that. So. And then one that I've seen just once before, and I happened to, uh, to come across another one. So I, I, I got this one here uh, from somebody. Oh, I forget his name. Um, he actually listed it. I asked, I asked him about it if he wanted because he picked up as a whole lot. And he said, yeah, he really wasn't going to use them too much. So he went ahead and sold them to me. It's a metal joystick, but you see something different about the handle. Why? Hmm. They're, uh, it's a little chunky. Yeah. That's correct. So let me pull one of them out there because I really think they're pretty cool. Very. I don't think I've ever seen one of those types. No, no the guy have either. Huh? Oh, wow. oh no, nice. Neat. And it has and it has this gray cord versus the black cord on it. What, what, I, th- I thought maybe they might have be been custom at first, but then I actually saw, actually saw a box for them. So that that was kind of a you know the fact that, that they had a box. So I thought maybe someone might have custom made some handles, you know, turned something on a lathe or something. But no. It's That's the, really cool. That that looks, looks, those early. are nice. I wonder if that was like the first generation or something. Yeah, the cord I mean, looks, it's, uh, 
It just started making the first cheaper generation because I remember when they first came in the stores, but that that must have been a later right. first so, generation. Well, gray handle, gray case, you know. That yeah, makes the sense. cord looks chunkier on it too. It looks like a thicker no. cord. Is yeah, that it is the same thicker, catalog it is a number. Uh, same hmm. catalog number. It's still okay. your uh, still the 08. Huh. Yep. They should have stuck with the metal sticks. <laughs> well, let, okay, let's remember why did Tandy do that? <laughs> why did Tandy do that? <laughs> well, then you guys are talking anything? about the uh, <laughs> you guys are talking about the A, right? So here is the uh, Black Beauty joystick, but it is a uh, Canadian version there. So it is a Kalur computer uh, joystick. Nice. There. And is there a maple leaf on it? No, no, batons. I like how they call them batons. <laughs> batons. There you go. And then I also in the uh, also came across one for the uh, deluxe. That's also um, uh, the the yeah, command. The command. <laughs> yes, command. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I'm trying to remember who uh, who I got this from. Um, oh, how's he go? I'm trying to remember his name on the Discord there. Uh, oh, it'll come to me. I'm sorry. And that was a B model. And that, yeah, this is a yeah, this is the B. Yep. Canadian on Correct. Discord, obviously. Ordinateur color. And then... Um, Ordinateur, oui, oui. And then on, along the uh, the Dragon line there, I did finally get a boxed uh, set of the uh, the Dragon joysticks. You guys have seen those before. They're kind of a funky-looking joystick. Did you get all these joysticks in... Did you get all these joysticks in, like, the last couple weeks? No, no, this... This is probably over the last three months or so. I just okay, I was going to say. No, no. Yeah, like joysticks coming out the wazoo for the I, last I, uh, I think it's time days. for joystick January here on Coco January. Talk. <laughs> there you go. Oh, you got that one. <laughs> yeah, this is, the, nice. this, is the, this is what the dragon ones look like. So yeah. sometimes you see them listed out there and this guy here is missing. So it was kind of nice to get a, a set there. Did you get that from the UK, eBay UK? Um, No, actually, this one was listed in the U.S., Oh, okay. Oh, but yes, you are correct. A lot of them are uh, are overseas. Yeah, yeah. Tano did sell them here in, in North America too. But uh, yeah, those would probably be pretty rare. And then uh, one that I did uh, share once before earlier this last year, but the guy still had some more uh, available, so I had to go ahead and pick up another one of these. They're listed as for the Dragon computer, and I really like playing with this one here. Um, so I picked up a second one just because he still had some. I don't know if you guys, if you guys remember me showing this one? Yeah. yeah. But I just I just love the action of the of the stick there. So nice. And it has your has your suction cups there if you really want to get into the into action there. Arcade so. quality. Arcade quality. And then uh, lastly here, the last couple items. Move this here out of the way. You guys have heard the advertisement. We've talked about it before. I went ahead and ordered one of Neil's joysticks then with the nice. grain there. So the gamester that he sells. Is that a marble uh this here? No, this is this is wood. Oh. It's, it's maple. Oh, it's, wood. it's light, light wood. Okay, yeah. Yep, it's maple, and uh, it's kind of interesting. The connector that he puts together for it, he actually uses a network jack yep. on the inside there, and then he uh, he must take a like a network patch cord, as you can see here, and then puts a a din on the end of it there. So, yep. and it's about a six or seven foot cord, and uh, yeah, it does play really nice. It's uh, it is your it, it's a, two it's meters? Not, I'm sorry? You mean two, oh, two meters? Yeah, two meters, yes. It's probably a two meter two cord. Meters. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it's not a it's not it's not a potentiometer. It is a uh, it's a switch uh, action there. So Yeah, if you break that you're doing it wrong. Yep. So yeah, so it's been <laughs> kind of fun to play with. It is kind of heavy for it is heavy. Um so it's kinda of nice to set on the desk there and you can kind of 
it is, you know, because of the spacing and everything, it does feel a little bit like uh, playing an arcade game. So, have you found it improves your scores? Uh, no, no. He he claims that it does, and I asked him if there's a money back guarantee, and he kind of just gave me an LOL back there on that one. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then what you, then what yeah. you saw at the beginning of the show there, he did. Uh, <laughs> I asked him if he had any the face masks available, and he said yeah. So he uh, he sent me a uh, uh, three of these uh, the face masks that you saw me wearing at the beginning, and then his lastly. His um, uh, the newest game that he's uh, putting out there, the the Flood It. Uh, well, now he's put he's he's selling them, but uh, what's the guy's name that um, Evan Wright is it? I yeah, think it's Wright. Yep. Yeah, I believe um, so this is the updated version. I haven't had a chance to look to see what the difference uh, with the updated version, but I asked Neil if he had any of the original ones, and he had one last left of the original that he had uh, that he had done back in the time. So uh, both versions there. So you are a completist. That's yep. right. <laughs> I, I believe the technical term is hoarder. In um, case you didn't know. Nick. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all I have. But uh, yeah, I wanted to been kind of uh, collecting some different joysticks there. And uh, the only thing I'm in search of is a 26, 30, 12. I have an A and a B in box. I don't have just a 30, 12. So which, be, which uh, is a what? It's your, it's your deluxe joystick, but it's just the, um, Ah, but there's but, it, but it's not the A. It's the single just, button. Uh, single button. Single yeah. button. So I have I have ones that are out of box, but I've been trying to get a boxed. Version. Have you got the other ones too that Tandy sold, like the pistol grip and some of those? Yes. Yep. Yep. I got the pistol grip. I have two versions of that. One that uh, was the pistol grip, and then another one that came with a little adapter, which is kind of like a with the, like the little PS2 type adapter. Um, so yeah, I have the pistol grip, uh, and I'm trying to think was there another version that they sold. Um, but no, yes, I do have the, the pistol. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that one that came with adapter was probably an adapter to use with the uh, there was 1, certain 000. versions of the Tandy 1000 that had yep. a smaller connector, like yeah, a mini bin. Yeah, I think I believe it says that on the outside of the box. You're right. I think Simon's showing one of those okay. or he's trying oh, to anyway. Simon's got something. <laughs> Muted if you're trying to talk, Simon. Yeah, it's a 26312B. B. Okay. Yeah, I don't have boxes for any of my deluxe joysticks anymore, though I did buy them originally at Raider Shack back in the day. But uh, back then, I didn't care about boxes, unfortunately. Yeah, this one here is the exact. Go ahead. I have exactly one. I have exactly one joystick, and it's the thirty twelve B, and I have the box. There you go. So, if you want the box but not the joystick, you can have it. Okay, oh, I'll reach out to you later there, and because uh, I do have a 3012 joystick, but yes, I do not have a box for it. So, okay, I'll send you a message. We'll work out something. Okay. Yep. Thank you. All right. Mm-hmm. Does anyone, anyone else have any uh, updates or acquisitions? I didn't have an update, but I did want to thank Brian for running uh, Nitro's 90s of Use in the background there. That was cool. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> I've had a lot of fun playing with that one. I've been doing the. Uh, uh, a lot of MIDI stuff there that uh, um, uh, you guys have been talking about lately. So Rob Inman's, yeah, Rob been, Inman's uh, been having fun with that too. So we yep. demonstrated on the show. It looks I've like Simon's some got something. What are we doing? Yeah, I probably showed this before, um, but I need to start playing with it. I need to start playing with it. This would be the MSX2 board. Oh, okay. The That's a sprite chip and uh, sound yes, and stuff yeah. that's all combined. It's got two sound chips. It's got the Yamaha 
39 or the or 38 or the 58? 99, 38, 98? Uh, 58. Oh, yeah, okay, MSX two, right. That's the uh, more featured one, better featured. Yes, it's got the 58 on it, um, and it's got 128K onboard RAM. Nice for the video. Um, nice board. So I, I promised... I promised John Whitworth, a dragon guy from the UK, that I would be a beta tester on it. So I need to start Plug it in. Up. Well, I know a pair of Surratt's done some AGD ports to it already, and, and you know, starting using the 16-color sprite chip and the or sprite mode and also some of the sound chip stuff on some of the AGD stuff. So yeah, see what exactly. you can do with it. Exactly. So and the other thing I got uh, from Sheldon McDonald, which is one of your Curtis, one of your fellow Canucks, is yep. a. All right. Oh, mini MPI. A mini MPI. Yeah, that was really nice. And Sheldon was good enough to send me at the same time his little joystick adapter. Oh, there you go. So it's a free 3D printed joystick adapter, and you've got both joystick ports. And you can switch from one port to the other. So it's basically a, like a uh, you can have one joystick for two ports. Okay, and you switch between whatever the game wants. Yep. And he was also nice enough to send me a 3D printed controller he'd made. Oh, oh that's nice. the one I think Stevie hmm. demoed a couple months back, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's got this little tiny you see the you see the little black thing. That's actually like a, a, a tiny little potentiometer joystick thing, Bob. Because it's not—it's not, it's so like not a much. thumb analog yeah, controller. A, a, a little funny thing, but it is it is potentiometers. So yes, so Sheldon was kind enough to send me this stuff because I've you know, kind of helped him out. <laughs> well, he's been working on his assembly language learning series. So I'm sure you've helped him out with that. Uh, well, uh, yeah, <laughs> we could get onto that a little bit later. So, but yes, those are my acquisitions. Those are my acquisitions. I just need to get onto using them because uh, it, it, the whole COVID situation and everything, yeah, the world's gone to pot. The world's gone mad. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> well, you have an advantage because you're the madman already, so you should be well prepared. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but I might you, have been you were mad. probably saying all well, the rest of you finally caught up to me by now. Uh, I might have been mad, but not that freaking mad. <laughs> Double translation. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I hey, have um, a question for Brian Weasler. Do you have some type of garage to keep all this cocoa stuff in? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do have shelving units that I uh, that I do have stuff on. Yes, but. Uh, but uh, yes, <laughs> not a garage though. No, I do not have a garage. Okay, but I have, I have shelves. So he has an abandoned warehouse, like a Walmart. <laughs> I, I do have one more thing I'd like to show, and maybe kind of as a question too to anybody that might be out there. Um, do you guys uh, recognize this? The nasty card slot on the side there. That is an SD card slot on the side. Oh. Got a, a, a discovering the logo, 
Yeah, battery holders have a real-time yeah, clock. I'm, cover, I'm covering the logo on purpose. So. <laughs> it's got a battery, so it's got to have a real-time clock. It, it does have a battery. Yes, it has a, it has a real-time uh, clock. Has a battery. It does have a real-time clock chip right there. Yes, it does. Has is that a card. Nine, Dragon uh, MMC? That is a Dragon MMC. Oh, yes, okay. David, David for the win. So, yes. That so, yes, this like is a move. Yep, it's the yeah, Dragon MMC. Um, I just got this the other day. It took about a month to make it here. But, uh, um, yeah, I'm just going to start playing with this here. I printed out the manual and everything. Um, supposedly, you're supposed to be able to put, like, the Dragon cassette files on it, onto the, uh, onto the SD card, yep. and be able to read them. Um, it has the, uh, the real-time clock on it. It has a program you can download to set the clock. Um, so I was just going to start playing with that. And it, it's supposed to work with the Coco as well, from what I understand. Coco so one and two. You've actually got a real-time clock in new hardware. We're still waiting for one here. Okay. Yeah, the Coco <laughs> one and two is David. Yes, as David indicated, yes, for the one and uh, the one and the two. So I was yeah, going to start playing with that and then be able to maybe uh, uh, share some stuff. I don't know. If, is anybody out there have these at all or have one? The MMC? I do not. It's one of the things that's on my list, but um, – to take advantage of some of the features, I think, like for the Coco 3, I think you have to do Jim's uh, DMA mod because the buffer chip on the Coco 3 is what um, prevents that from being somewhat usable on the Coco 3 because the Slen B stuff. Okay. Yeah, there's even, um, uh, even the set of turns, I don't know if it's going to come in on focus here at all. But this says RS-232 on it right here. And there's a, a transmit and receive right there. So I don't know how that's utilized at all. But, uh, nice. That might be the program, the controller uh, it, it on that be, board. Yeah. yeah, it just says TTL RS-232, 3.3 volts. And then it has uh, VCC. Tri-fire, tri-fire, tri-fire. Did you move away from your mic there, Brian? Can I move away from my mic? No, he's I fine think, now. Yeah, I oh, think yeah, he's oh, using, actually. I think I, he's using the mic on his camera, yeah, not his headset. Yeah, I'm gonna shoot a different mic. Oh, maybe it did automatically. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. better. Yeah, okay. it's back now. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I just uh, just received that. Uh, these are still available. Um, they're about uh, seventy-five dollars US. So not that's much not more bad. than you know, not much more than the um, uh, SDC. So. So yeah, I'll play with that and maybe uh, maybe I can share something here uh, with the group. Cool. But I don't know if anybody if anybody had one of those out there, and if they did, I was gonna you know just to maybe share some experience that they might have with it or so. But. Now you get to make all the mistakes first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a lot of our UK friends that probably have these, um, but uh, wasn't sure how popular they were. All right. Well, do we want to take a short break and then uh, go into the uh, game high score? Sounds good. Sounds like a good idea. All right. Hit the button, Frank. Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk.
As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Coco periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, uh, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Coco World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Coco Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Coco Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Right, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? And now, Coco <laughs> Thought by Samuel Gimes. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale from a microchip. <laughs> it starts right from this seaside port and ends up on a ship. The lead is the mighty sailor man, a man of some acclaim. He has to save his skinny LC in a three-screen game. A three-screen <laughs> nice. game. Nice. <laughs> uh, at first, the kisses must be caught, and then music notes are tossed. If he can't catch the letters to build a ladder, the whole game will be lost. The whole game will be lost. The sailor must contend with all these crazy obstacles Like big fat bad guy Old ugly sea woman too Fat guy eating hamburgers will help him Smart aleck kid <laughs> He's sure to eat his collard greens There are kids marked as for collard I think that was worth some comments before uh, jumping in the high score. (laughs) Usually I watched them beforehand. This week I didn't, so because I wanted to be surprised. That was really good.
<laughs> very oh. clever use of the three screens for three days and that was really good i'm really and also using the bizarre names that uh tom mix picked to you know not inflict on any copyrights back in the day there with big fat bad guy and you know all that kind of stuff which is awesome I don't know. that original manual was hilarious the original ads were hilarious wow okay good job samuel <laughs> thank you very much good stuff All right, and welcome to another week of results. This week we played Sailor Man with 24 submitted. Mr. Dave, 19,200. David Ladd, 33,600. Sloopy, 45,500. Joshua Craker, 45,900. Marcy, 46,800. Tom C, 47,600. Coco Man, 65,700. Nathan, 66,800. AC's 8-Bit Zone, 70,800. Flutterball, 71,500. Buck Owen, 79,900. 8-Bits in the Basement, 80,800. Canadian Retro Things, 93,300. Boat of Car, 95,500. Tasman, 105,400. Al Curtis Boyle, 106,400. Ken Reichard, 112,700. Jim Rye, 117,100. David Craker, 166,900. And the number one score this week belongs to little old me, 175,200. Thank you to all this week's participants for, for another great week of gaming. Yeah, good job, Nick. Uh, thank you. I did not expect that. I didn't think this was uh, one of my strong games, but I ended up doing all right. That's a great did game. More than, did more than all right, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just uh, starting just trying to share my screen here. Oh. Uh, no, no, that's okay. No, I, I got control. All right. You see that? Mm, yep. Yeah, I do, uh, sort of. Yep. There it is. All right. All right. So, yes, uh, this was a great week. We had 20 people, which was fantastic. So there's the scores from back in the day. So 427,000. I, I recognize uh, one. In Alberta. And, uh, yeah, no, look at number four. Do we recognize <laughs> that guy's <laughs> name? <laughs> Uh, no, yeah. I don't remember what settings I was using. That was from that was from uh, 1991, I believe. So I don't maybe, remember what game settings. Maybe you started from level one and, uh, and uh, start because the game defaults to starting on level four if you mm, don't okay. touch any settings, which is what we we, we did. Mm -hmm. But you can go into the settings and start from level one. So that's probably what you did. Uh, probably, I, I recognize I recognize the name Jason Downs. If that's the same Jason Downs, I think I've seen that's, that name in the community. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I wasn't sure. Mm, yeah. So uh, it sounds like legitimate fellow. scores. Though I, I know some of the people in our club were scoring over two hundred thousand regularly. So well, yeah. Uh, better yet, I still have my original disc copy of Sailor Man from the uh, T and D issue. I think it was number seventy six with that high score still on the disc. So. Nice. I have proof. I just don't have proof of the setting. So, yeah, we haven't ver we haven't verified your results yet. I'm still waiting to uh, to uh, <laughs> so we may have to do a recount. No, that's good. <laughs> so here's the review for Sailor Man. Uh, it was favorable. Um, 
just t- nothing that we don't know. It's uh, after a while you forget the novelty of playing a 64k game. So this is one of the first 64k games. The first, okay. So uh, that was a really big deal back then. Yeah, Tom Hanks took uh, out a full page ad to brag that fact. There's the ad. There's the ad, and as you can uh, see, they they mention the characters' names: big fat bad guy, bad guy, and old ugly sea woman. And uh, the here on all the screens, you get a can of collard greens labeled S for collard. So they were obviously <laughs> so they're flipping the bird to the it's a Nintendo with this ad. I kind of think you know they're basically saying yeah, hey, it was uh, great. <laughs> but yeah, I remember I remembered this ad like I uh to this day, like when we we're doing this game, I knew to look for this ad because I remembered it uh being so funny back in the day. Yeah, the manual uh is the same way, which you can find online. That's right. All right, so gameplay footage is provided to us again by Canadian Retro Things. Thank you very much. So uh I'll start off. This is one of the top tier games, I believe, for the Coco 2. Coco one and two, uh, very good, very good uh, uh, translation of the game. Um, we got a bit. We got some negative feedback. Uh, Buck Owens was a little bit angry with some of his feedback. He thought that the evil autos, his quote, "Evil autos, WTF is that? Pretty cheesy. Forget that this makes it a bit hard so early. Smiling face balls is just stupid." So, so apparently uh, he did not like the smart, uh, evil autos. But I did, um, I did wonder what the actual arcade game had. So I went and watched a, a long play uh, YouTube video, and they don't have the evil autos, but they do have uh, the sea hag appearing at the top, dropping skulls uh, three at a time, and they could uh, and they drop down and bounce across the uh, the uh, platforms and, and I never saw the guy punch them. So I don't know if they're destructible or not. So the arcade game actually gets very difficult. So I don't think the evil autos were extremely. Uh, were, well, plus that makes uh, it an original game and now you can't sue, right? That's true. I wondered. Yes. They ripped <laughs> off from another game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that way you would, spread the lawsuits out. Exactly. Yeah. Now we should exactly. point out the artifact colors here are backwards, which I know Ken corrected on a later video. Um, yeah. Like I he, I, I talked to him about that. He He's, was having some issues getting uh, getting VCC. To Popeye's choking! Stars. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> he's, he's turned. Someone help, help! Give him the Heimlich. He's got COVID. He can't breathe. Now, <laughs> I, I didn't know of an easy way to flip the artifact colors in VCC or find the clear key. But what I did, what I did suggest was do the you know, F one reset on yes. and and then and then run the game and then then he was okay because then he could hit enter for the correct uh, artifact colors. But so. He now knows for the future, so we're good there. But I, I don't. If there is a way to flip the artifact colors in VCC, I don't know about it. That's the only way I know of is the F one reset. What about the clear key? Isn't that home or something? Uh-oh. I can't remember. Doesn't uh, the doesn't the latest version of VCC let you flip it in the menu? I think it does. Yeah, it might. I know X. I know X War lets you. So X War is another. And name does as well. For, There's an option for, uh, in the menu to swap your artifacting or shut it off so uh yeah so and also um some of the strategies that uh that um uh sorry i'm brain freezing some of the strategies about strategies that buck always pointed out are some of the same ones i found uh when you have this when you have the uh, collard greens your scores are multiplied by 10 
So uh, when you get the falling objects, if you get them on the top level, they're worth 400 normally. And then on the second platform, they're 300, then 200, and at the bottom, they're worth 100. So if you get the collard greens and get, you know, things at the top, you get 4,000 each time. And uh, when you just, when you punch a big fat bad guy, you get 4,000 points. So that's where your point scoring opportunities are. And even when you catch the uh, handle on this, where, uh, where he is, you get a thousand points instead of a hundred. So everything's basically multiplied by 10 when you have the, uh, when you're powered up. So that's a good opportunity to get, uh, to get points. Yeah, and you have to get the musical notes before whatever is being dropped uh, before they sink too far in the water or you die. Yeah, I think it's like ten flash. I think I think it's like ten flashes around that. Like they flash when you're at the bottom. So I think yeah. I think you get about ten of those flashes before you. Uh... And I know some people had mentioned that uh, they didn't see Brutus Bluto, depending on which version you're used to, um, or you know the bad guy in this one. Big fat bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. You're thinking um, of a totally different game. Yeah, sorry. Popeye the arcade game. It, it doesn't have happy faces bouncing at you. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, they were they were wondering because the arcade game, he can start reaching above on the platform above him, and also you know, get his hands and knees and kind of scoot and slap you on the head when you're below. But that does show up on level five. So if people had not wrapped the three screens from the basic start on level four that we made the default, they may not have seen that because in the arcade it comes out a lot quicker that he can do that. But uh, that oh, yeah. is there in in this version. Yeah, they want to dump you as fast as they can in the arcade version. So it gets very brutal, the arcade. The long play videos I was talking about was like 19 minutes. So that so this was definitely not one of those games you could play for hours and hours, like Pac-Man or Donkey yeah. Kong or whatever. I, I just want to mention a couple of comments in the chat here. Um, Jim Rye, who's the one who's been working on doing the VCC updates for Bill Pierce, he says that uh, the latest VCC does have swapping the artifact colors in the menu as an option. I thought and so. Also, we've got Alexander Wallace um, was wondering, was it available in disc back in the day? And definitely, yes, it was. It actually saved the high scores to disc, one of the first games to do that. So this level that uh, Ken is currently on, I found it was good to just stay on the top and just take that platform back and forth and uh, get the letters at the top. That, this was a really high scoring board. And, and that is, I found it was among the easiest, even though back in the day, I must have ventured around the board a lot more. I found this very difficult, but this past week I found this uh, to be the easiest of the levels. So again, my focus was score this week. When I was a kid, I don't think I cared about score. I just wanted to get as far as I could. So I would tend to not think about the score ramifications. Yeah. But uh, I think the furthest I got was this level uh, on, and on this and level five, like this board level five, I think it's as far as I got. Yeah, it gets pretty hard when Brutus can start hitting you from above and below. That's that's what I found. I, I could get to I could get to level five just about every game I played, no problem. But as yeah. soon as that started happening and the bouncing faces and stuff, it got a lot harder. Yeah, those bouncing heads are are, are annoying. Absolutely. So, any comments from people on the on the on the panel or in chat? Well, I did want to mention the music because that was one thing a lot of people that haven't. Especially, like I noticed, some people were playing it on the Discord um, from the Migos there too. We had not seen the Coco version too much, and and the fact that you have different tunes at the end of every level and stuff, like it had a fairly decent variety of music, which is cool. Yes, and I love when you got the little splash when you sent Brutus into the uh, water. I thought that was. Uh, I used to enjoy that. 
So, Jason, this is one of the games you played quite a bit in your youth, eh? Oh, yeah. It was uh, it was one of my favorites. Uh, I got it later. I didn't get it till it came out. Uh, one of the I got it on a back issue of TND. Uh, it was like number 76, and I think it was like 88 or 87 was the issue. I don't remember exactly when I got it, but... And then I scored that 295,600 again, whatever setting it was on, I don't remember. And I decided to, ah, what the heck, I'll submit it to the Rainbow Scoreboard. And as far as I can tell, that was that, that issue in 1991. That was the last time they had that. So, wow. So it's just, there's a lot the of things right in under the wire. Cause, I, you know, uh, the last Rainbow Scoreboard I was on, and, um, and, uh, oh, heck, um, the last no. one anybody was on. Yeah, that was a lot. I was. It's like I got in just under the wire, and I think I I have a program on the last next to the last issue of T and D software. So there's a lot of like last or almost last for me in in the Cocoa world. You just shut but, things down. Yeah, I just just <laughs> just closed down the place, right? Uh, here you can yeah, see I, the faces, those bands, bouncing faces. Oh, I, I, that's what really screwed me up because I don't read. Again, I, I probably wasn't starting on level four like we were this week, and those bouncing faces just completely screwed me up. I would I would wrap I would wrap it and then just die. Yeah, because they can choose to go through the platform or just bounce. You know, depending. But I on see. At least you can punch game. them. I didn't even get yes. that far. I was yeah. like, "What the heck?" It's these. It was like <laughs> berserk. I'm like, "Oh, it's the dancing face that kills you." Awesome. <laughs> it's just like berserk. I did want to mention Frodo played it just today, this morning on uh, Twitch, because he didn't have time to do it during the week. But uh, he he actually got his best score from the few games he did when he had the Invisible on, which was kind of surprising. Where you all, Basically, all the background is gone. You can't see the platforms. So you can't see where you're going to fall or where the ladders or the stairs are. And he actually did better on that level. That's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that was another thing that they could differentiate and say their game was different. And also, I found it amusing because Boat, Boat really likes this port from the Amigo. So he actually got, as you saw on the scoreboard, he got a really good score. And then he challenged Aaron to it. And, you know, Aaron owned a Coco back in the day. And Aaron, I think he was playing on one of the emulators, if I remember. But uh, he was having a hard time and he couldn't get anywhere near Boat's score. So he just finally quit and disgusted and didn't submit a score. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I called him out on that, you know, on behalf of Boat. So. Now, that's not in keeping with the spirit of this of this segment. Oh, sure it is. Between those two? <laughs> Have you ever watched their show? Yes. <laughs> this 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 is not a, this is an exhibition, not a competition. As always, please, no wagering. Yeah, it's an exhibition in good and bad <laughs> gameplay. So that's exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> well, at least we all made it off a of level one. Well, his <laughs> he should have submitted. I mean, his criteria for being good was what fifty thousand that he he wanted to beat. That's that's uh, he should have submitted anyway. But that's okay. Now nah, he shut the emulator off too fast. Even take a screenshot. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to watch. Well, you know, either this either the segment brings you joy or brings you frustration. Either I'm he, he needs one of Neil Blanchard's new joysticks. There, the big heavy wood ones. So he, it's harder to throw across the room when he gets mad. I get yeah, I was gonna say he'll clock someone in the head with it and. <laughs> that's on my wish list uh, i'll get i'll but get yeah. one of those eventually for those yeah, who haven't seen really, it though, nice go ahead yeah, for those who haven't seen it we've interviewed chris latham and we covered you know some of his early basic efforts that he'd done and then he did donkey king which was the premier 32k game for the coco and then he did sailor man now he's he said the engine is much better like the graphics are smoother doesn't flicker because he was he could finally learn about double buffering and stuff so he's very happy with the technical aspects of the game it's great but he said he should have picked a more popular arcade game because even in the arcades, Popeye was not hugely popular. It was, you know, average. It wasn't 
like, you know, something nobody played, but it was definitely not as popular as Donkey Kong. And he said he probably could have got better sales if he'd picked a, a more mainstream, you know, hit game. I think it was a difficulty level in the arcades. It was insane. Like I said, a long play was 19 minutes. So it was not a, not an easy game. Yeah. But, uh, All right, so are we uh, ready to move on to talk about next week's game? Oh, yeah. All right. So, next week we are back to doing an original Coco. Whoops. Next week we are back to doing an original Coco game. Oh, the white screen game. What else? (laughs) Yeah, there we go. It's a game that kind of summarizes last year. Outhouse. This is this is a is this a Coco exclusive? Nope, uh, no, no, it, it was, was on one and three version as well. I'm sorry, did I say Coco exclusive? Yeah, it's a Coco original though. Like, mm-hmm. a, and then it doesn't appear on. Well, okay, maybe it's not a Coco original. It's a it's a uh, Coco game. <laughs> Outhouse. So those are the screenshots off. Those are the screenshots of toilet uh, paper thieves. Yes. So basically you can control it with the keyboard or joystick. If it's joystick, you use a joystick to move around and aim your shot. You can aim diagonally or straight across or down or yeah, that's right. So you just aim aim with your joystick and buttons fire. Yeah. There's a keyboard option as well too. Yeah. I don't know how the keyboard works. So one of the guys will go in and use three squares and leave. This other guy will come and start pulling it out and you want to shoot them and there's your toilet paper sheet count is there and you don't want to get down to zero and you don't want to get <laughs> shot. These guys go up and down the sides and shoot you. Uh, these guys just fly around and, sh- and uh, they don't shoot, but you gotta, you, you gotta avoid them. And that's basically the game. Yep. And an eerily prescient game because it taught us to do toilet paper hoarding years before we actually started doing <laughs> it. <so. Okay. laughs> Sounds like a lot of crap to me. (laughs) All right. So that's our game of the week next week. And I look forward to what you guys do with it. And thank you very much, everybody. Crap game. (laughs) It's a bunch of crap. (laughs) I was going to be offended there for a sec, but I realized you're you're being punny. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) You're being potty mouthed. What can you say? It's It's all crap. I thought it was I thought it was hard to control because I was watching Stevie Strober. You know how Stevie did a bunch of gameplay. <laughs> no, that's back. just his natural ineptitude showing. Like four point, years so. ago, he did before the Coco Talk. He did a bunch of videos playing games. And he was having a hell of a time controlling it. I, I think part of the reason, was. to be honest, now kidding aside, I think part of the problem was back then he was using strictly emulators, and some of the emulators don't do the joysticks as smoothly oh, as they do in real okay. life. Yeah, okay, sometimes it, you can't hit a corner and go diagonally. You can only go up and down and left and right when you should be able to go diagonally, depending on how the joystick reads were done. Because it actually made me hes- it actually made me hesitant to try this game because I thought there was a control problem. But I thought I should find I'm just going to try it, and I and it was just it was very straightforward with the real Coco. So yeah, the, the more modern versions of the emulators actually fix a lot of those joystick problems we had back then. For okay, the most part, I mean, we had one on Photon was still a problem, but he was doing a really odd trick that hadn't been seen before. Okay, by, uh, the emulator people so. All right. So Stevie's so reputation of Stevie's reputation of not getting off of level one was unjust justly earned. Well, no, he still doesn't get off of level one very often. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> He's less excuses now, I think, is what you can say. 
Actually, no, he's he's actually gotten better. I think honestly, he's he actually gets to level two and three in quite a few games. It's his patience. If he doesn't get the game going like right away the way he wants, he just quits and goes on to the next one. I think is more the issue these days. <laughs> All right. So thank you guys. All right. Ready for some game on news? I can do that. Yeah, you guys have seen this? Certainly can. Okie So there's not too much game on news this week, actually. I think uh, the holidays are over. People went back to work, so the news slowed down. So we won't be taking three hours to do it like we have the last <laughs> few weeks. <laughs> so first up, uh, Cuthbert Dragon did some more of his Dragon playthroughs. Um, and he's got a few with the original you know, box art and stuff for the, uh, the the Dragon, which, as I've mentioned many times before, had much better artwork than most of the American ones, which were basically just Xerox sheets on colored paper. But he did like El Diablero, the uh, text adventure game by Ken Kalish. He did uh, Caverns of Doom. He did Dungeon Raid, which is a Ken Kalish game. Uh, he played Star Sports a couple times. I don't know if he caught wind of our competition last week and just decided to see how well he could do himself on it because he actually uploaded a couple of them. I uh, did Cuber, which we've all seen before. Wizard's Quest, which is pretty cool. And Mission XK1, which is basically, uh, what is the arcade game called? Lunar Rescue Mission or something? We have to try to land, pick up the astronauts, except this one does a bit of a twist. So it was the one I decided I'll, I'll play a little bit of here. So basically, you've probably seen this. You have to land on the lunar surface dodging these things. You got fuel and stuff. And in the original arcade game, a little astronaut runs out, you rescue him. But in this case, you drill down and mine some stuff, and then you have to take that back to your ship, some core samples. So they kind of did a bit of a a change on that. And then when you go back up, you have to, you can fire your way and, and dodge around and try to get back to your mothership. I don't think the arcade game lets you wrap the left and right. Like this one does, like you can go off the screen on one side and come on the other. So that's one difference, but the whole, you know, drilling mechanic versus doing the rescue of the astronauts. I thought it was a pretty cool original take on the original arcade game. Easier to implement. Yeah, but it also makes a bit a bit of sense even on its own. Like if you're trying to you know drill for moon samples, yeah. I don't know why people are firing at you for trying to do that. I have no idea. But anyway, it was a it was a pretty good uh, version of that game, so I kind of liked it. And I think most of the other ones we probably have seen before. Have we seen the uh, P mode three version of Buzzard Bait that's there? I was just wondering what does it look like. Uh, Go down, down the I'm bottom getting, row. I'm guessing oh, it looks like crap. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah it's, it's, like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the Puyan color set. It looks terrible. Oh, oh no, goodness, no, really? it's not the Puyan color set. But um, I don't know. I was playing with this X four uh, emulator this week, and I tried a, I tried Buzzard Bait, and it was a Puyan color set. Yeah, it's got the, uh, both options. It's got the artifact or black and white, as it's in, in known in the UK, because of PAL. And then it also had the buff and the and the green color sets that you could pick from. So, oh, yeah, right. but it yes. looks like trash on all of them, basically. <laughs> That's one thing I wish the Coco designers, when they started selling games, the Dragon had done more often. A couple of them did, but most didn't. Most of them just took the game itself and just switched the VDG to P mode three and left it, which means the colors look horrible. But if you actually had reprogrammed the shapes to use different colors in the first place, you could get something that's pretty decent looking, but most of them didn't take the time to do that, unfortunately. 
Any, any requests from these other new ones this week uh, or we get for the next story? Hmm. Sounds like we're good for the next story. Hmm. Okay, next, uh, Rich N in our Discord released a video of his Space War game he did in assembly. So he's been learning assembly and he, he actually implemented physics and everything else in this too. And uh, he released a short video of it in Discord, uh, about one minute here, so I'll show it. But this is based on the original Space War from the PDP, as opposed to the uh, vector game that came out in the arcades in 77, I think it was, which is when I remember playing as a kid uh, so long ago. But um, he actually did pretty good, like the physics in here of the two spaceships. So basically, it's a two-player game. You have the black hole slash star in the middle, and, and you have the effects of gravity that it pulls your shots and pulls your ship and stuff. So I'll just play a little bit of here. But he did a pretty good job for a first assembly game ever attempted. And if you look carefully, those are real constellations, just like the original Space War did. Yeah, if you look on the very top, for example, around the center, you can see the Big Dipper slightly left, and the Little Dipper, it's even pointing to the North Star properly. And uh, he did actually post up the source code as well. Oh, cool. I didn't notice that. And he also said a big thank you to uh, Steve Bjork and the assembly series he did here on Cocoa Talk because he actually used that as his basis to learn assembly language. And this game came out of that. So kudos to Steve on that too. Next up, Chet's been pretty busy on his own page here. He did, uh, he's done some patches to uh, Brewmaster. And I'll just fast forward. So he, he fixed up you know, Cocoa 3 Colors and RGB. And then he also fixed a couple of things that he didn't like about the original the one copy that uh, a lot of people used had problems where you'd um, have issues on that uh, bonus round. And he also thought it's kind of dumb on the bonus round to lose a man if you don't get it. So he patched that. He patched the colors. He uh, changes speed a little bit too. Um, basically trying to make the game more fun. And he did two videos of this because he was actually, he had an internet outage where he was, so he couldn't do any actual work which he mentions in his commentary as, as well as commenting on why he did design choices that he did and et cetera. And uh, goes into a bit of the game, but he was mentioning that he, he had internet outage. It was supposed to be back on within so much time. So he was going to do a video gameplay. And then uh, he wasn't too happy with his gameplay, but then he figured I have to get back to work. Cause my internet should back on. And then he comes back with a second video a little while later saying, up oh, the internet's still down. So I'll play another round. So he kind of did that. So I've, I've, I've put links there. If they're posting the links there, you'll see links to both of the videos for that. So, but anyway, it's, it's a pretty interesting hearing him, you know, describe what he changed and why. I mean, some of it's just, you know, Coco 3 RGB colors. That, that's pretty obvious. But some of the other things he, you know, because he's, uh, you know, a, a game designer, he actually got into, you know, like, you know, this was probably not the smartest idea to do the bonus round this way. So he did some changes and explains why. So that's the first video. The second one, I won't bother playing it because it's basically just playing the same game. But uh, there's more commentary and stuff on there. And this one I'll play in its entirety. It's only 30 seconds. So this is um, a game that he's kind of contemplating doing, and it's a port of a Nintendo game called Alter Ego, I believe. Yes, Alter Ego. 
And it's a short sprite test demo. One of the things that game apparently has, and I've not played it, I've not seen that original game on the NES, but it has some like ghost sprites that kind of like are semi-transparent. And uh, anybody in the panel who's seen this game originally can tell me how the graphics look to compare to the original because I've not seen it myself. And of course, it's got his chaos intro too. Do you guys hear that okay or is that too quiet? I could probably I a little louder, part, but maybe. But you can see that little ghost trail mm. of the one, you know, the lower of the shapes moving across. Mm. So he's been kind of fiddling with, you know, getting that effect to work in the engine. It was basically just an experiment to see. And he says he's not sure if he's actually going to actually finish the game as a game, but uh, it's just to give you know some extra options in the engine and stuff. So I hope he does because it looks like a pretty interesting game. I've never seen it on the, on the Nintendo, but I didn't play the Nintendo much. And then apparently he was bored again. He decided to play Whirlybird Run. Um, so this one, he obviously has some palette hacks for the Coco 3 here as well, um, where he changes the sky to black in the background and stuff, even on the earlier levels. Now, this one, I'm a bit of a purist on myself. I, You can change the palettes, but to me, the first three levels should be the brighter colors because you're in a very shallow cave where the light would still come in or you're out in the open like in the first level here. So I kind of preferred that the colors were more the outdoor-y colors. And then you got the last two levels actually are inside caves with very small pattern, you know, passages you have to go through. And those are, or were dark and artifacted in the original game. So they actually did change the color set between those two areas, the outside and shallow cave areas versus the deep in the bowels of the cave thing. So I still prefer having the separate color sets, but other people prefer this over the green and blue and yellow and red. So, But he got up to level four, if I remember correctly. I don't know if how many of you have played Whirlybird Run and got that far, but... Unfortunately, this one, I think he didn't actually switch the artifact here, so it's still playing in the grayscale, but you'll see shortly here some, how tight some of these passages get. While still have to be paying attention to feel and everything else. It's a really good game, though. So anyway, that's what uh, Chet posted on his page. And then uh, also this past week, our own Stevie Stroh decided to play Pyramid 2000, which is probably one of the most complicated and, I, for me personally, infuriating text adventures that Tandy ever put out. Um, it's just uh, it's a hard game. I, I found Racket 2 and Bedlam a much easier, even though Bedlam is somewhat randomized uh, as to how you have to solve it each time. It, it was a bit more linear this one you get lost in the mazes of passages that look like you can get stuck there for days and he was actually trying to follow along with a map online because this also appeared on the tier city model one and three uh, as well uh, but he spent 50 minutes playing it he got you know fairly decent score but didn't win the whole game so he's, he's talking about revisiting it afterwards too so but uh, it's it's fun watching the chat room trying to give suggestions and and then stevie's you know always fun commentary on any time he plays a game for any length of time so definitely check that out Next up, uh, Troy Tomes um, put up that he's going to be trying to use the 256 uh, byte mode. And he's been talking to Simon about this. And this is the mode where you can enable the gimme on the Cocoa 3. So this is Cocoa 3 only feature. <clears throat> but you're going to make the screen 256 bytes wide and you just view the 160 or 80 bytes in the middle or whatever position you pick. So you can make the sc- virtual screen wider and you just have to you know change one register to shift the whole screen over. So you could draw it as a huge screen 
and the Coco just shows you a window into it, basically. And he's been contemplating doing this Final Fantasy II Game Boy game, and he actually has a bit of a zoom up here of it, which looks pretty good. This is all grayscale. I, I don't know what the original nice. Game Boy version looked like, but but you can see it's already. This is just a screenshot in the grayscale, but it's in VCC, so this is already the Coco version of the graphics, and it actually doesn't look too bad. So, and with that virtual scrolling, you should be able to actually have you know nice smooth put as many sprites on the screen as you want because it won't take that much time. And if he does the vertical and the horizontal, because you can have the vertical just run through memory, and then the horizontal on the 256, if you're picking a four-color mode like this, then you can actually use, you know, three three and some odd screens wide here of just straight hardware scrolling. Uh, so it, work, it would work pretty good for a game like this. And that's all I have for the game on news, believe it or not. Wow. Boy, that was a shorty. Yep. <laughs> Can't have a fantastic week like last week every time. Fantastic. Well, no, I think a lot of people were on holidays as a thing, and they were, you know, a lot of people you know, were having something to do because they were just, you know, sitting at home type thing because there wasn't any big family gatherings or not too many of them anyway. So I think a lot of people just stayed home and, and worked on stuff, which is why we had so much regular news, so much game news and everything else the last few weeks because of the holidays. And I think now that people are kind of getting back to work and stuff, it's kind of slowed down a bit. I do have a bit more in the regular news section, but even that's like less than half of what we had last week. And okay. with that being that short, I don't know um, if you want to, Mark, if you want to From around the world what you need to know get caught up on news with El Curtis And now a Muppet News Flyer Priorities <laughs> All right That's right <laughs> Okay. Hey, first Ooh. up, uh, Terry Trapp's Workbench, which is a YouTube channel. We've featured his earlier videos on it before. I think he was trying to... Is he the same guy that was trying to do the salt chip replacement, if I remember correctly? Anybody remembers? But at this rate, uh, in this one here, he did a video showing how to upgrade a Coco 3 to 512K using the Boys and Tech Boomerang board, which he had just received. So he goes through and... Uh, kind of explains the cocoa itself a bit at first and then he goes in there and then it was fun watching him try to find the capacitors <laughs> c65 and 66 which i pretty well have memorized and uh, uh-huh. nick Morota, you can comment on this this upgrade because it's kind of similar to what you did the 512k upgrade how hard did you find that as a non-techie user uh i found the capacitors was the most pain in the butt part but that's just because i was that's just because i was really scared about breaking something but they keep getting smaller and smaller every year <laughs> doesn't help. I think you need your prescription on your glasses changes all it is there, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so he successfully fired it up after he installed it. Um, and then, of course, he did, you know, one of the standard 512K tests, which is to run the Donkey Kong transcode. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of like Sailor Man's a 64K RAM check for Coco 1 and 2. Donkey Kong is the 512K RAM check for the Coco 3. So it all worked. So if you, if any of you are thinking of upgrading to 512K, there's no soldering. <clears throat> it's no, it's a good game. upgrade. It's I'm at not I'm I'm not good with hardware. It was actually a, a pretty easy process. Yeah, it's basically you have to un, you know unseat four chips, <clears throat> snip two capacitors, and then plug in a satellite board, and that's pretty well it. And the satellite board's the easy part. Like you said, the what the one one capacitor in particular I think is really hard to get to. And if you don't have the right tools to get the chips out, the four forty four sixty fours out, that can be a little bit of a chore. But it's it's not too bad. I pretty oh, much rocked them. Screwdriver. 
I pretty much rocked them back and forth until they broke off. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. always use that technique. Uh, that does work. <laughs> does the trick. Now, <laughs> I will mention, if you do get the, the chips out successfully without breaking them, those 4464s. Oh, the capacitors, not the chips. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, yeah. The caps until them. they fall off. Yeah. The, caps use- I t- the chips I took out with a screwdriver. Well, they could use you could use the Mark Overhoser screwdriver for those chips. Yes, right. or two screws, like an IC puller, actually. or or even the ones you give away all the time, right? Yes, ones you give away all the time. Yes, I have some of those. Thank you. I have like a half pound of them. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of to weigh them at the post office. Um, <clears throat> but the forty four sixty four chips you take out of that are the same chips that are used to upgrade later Coco twos that had the option for the two or the eight chip upgrade. The eight chip upgrade was usually a satellite board. And then the two-chip upgrade was 4464. So if you have those left over, keep them. And then if you have anybody in the community that gets a Coco 2 with 16K and wants to upgrade it, and it's one of the new ones that takes the two-chip upgrades, you can give them two of them, and they just plug them in, and they're done. So definitely don't throw those away, because those can be used in Coco 2s to upgrade those as well. And this is the first story from Alan Huffman. So this is part five of his blog series of benchmarking the Coco keyboard. And he's been going back and forth with Willie Mastel. I think Kieran's been involved with it. Uh, Jim Gary has been involved with it, which is um, trying to figure out ways to read the keyboard in basic so that you can register multiple keys at once, whether the keys being held down as opposed to you have to keep hitting it. So this is the fifth one where he goes through some of the peaks and stuff and uh, goes through the charts where you can, you know, scan for multiple keys and various, you know, code optimizations. A lot of Jim Gary related stuff this time around um but he's been going through like how you can register like four certain keys are held down at the same time and then you can also do automatic key repeat in your program because the peak version of this versus in key will keep registering the same key being held down if you hold it down which is cool too so it's pretty good it's actually a nice guide for people that want to do some special things with the keyboard for say an arcade game nice community effort too a lot of people had yeah, really a lot of people contributed to the uh, it was and I'll, frankly, some of it's over my head, too. I saw some of those routines that the, they were coming up with, and I was like, oh, my God, my head hurts. Okay, next up. Uh, this is Ken, Canadian Retro Things, who got a, a big box of TRS-80 Coco stuff. And I, I don't think he mentioned who he got it from. Um, if he's in the chat, he might want to mention that, because uh, it was a pretty nice donation there. He got a face maker with the original packaging and everything else. And, you know, RF modulators, cassette cables, which you kind of joked, he's, you know, Adam with the other dozen he's already got. Uh, original manuals and some of the cartridges he got there, too. Pretty good collection of them, actually. And the little printer. Some manuals. And a Coco 1, which I believe, if I remember correctly in this video, he said he's already got a Coco 2 and he's got a Coco 3, and this completes his collection. And the MC-10 he's got as well. So this completes his collection of one of each of the base models. Now, he's not like, you know, Brian Weasler wants like every iteration of every model. So that, you know, Brian's got, I don't know, what, <laughs> four dozen by now or something? I'm not even sure. Ken said he got, or Canadian Retro Things said he got it in uh, uh, eBay. Oh, okay. He said all the carts work, too. He's really it was, it's in pretty uh, good shape. I mean, it's, it's not one of the ones that's on the palm <laughs> more often. So he, he got a pretty good quality one, still under warranty. There's your serial number for everybody who wants to know those. Wow. 7243. 
Yeah, and it's a, it looks like an F board Crispy. from what I can see by the design on the front there. I powered up; it all works fine. Of course, he fired up the greatest game of all time, Dungeons of Daggerath, just to make sure. Mega bug. Anyway, it's a pretty good haul. Good I don't choices. know what he paid for it, but uh, there was a lot of carts, original manuals for the carts, and a printer, and a bunch of other things. So it was a pretty, pretty good stash of stuff. Next up, we have Alan at AC's 8-Bit Zone, and I think he's in the chat too. So this is basically the long-form video of the 64-in-1 Super ROM pack he did last week because he had a lot of requests for more details on the soldering and build steps, which he kind of skimmed over a bit just to show what, what he was trying to accomplish. So this one's a fair bit longer. It's almost three-quarters of an hour long. But for those of you who want to try to duplicate what he did, this goes into a lot more detail of how to actually build it up. So I, I'd like, I won't play it because we already discussed it somewhat last week too, but for those who wanted the extra detail, the new video that does that is here. Uh, he said about 140 Canadian for the Coco one. For the whole thing for a Coco one yeah, plus manuals, stellar. hardware, cartridges, a printer. That's a pretty good deal. Stellar. Mm. I'm a, I'm, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> now this is the, the, the David Ladd part of the show. Um, so he's been, of course, we discussed last week the cassette mm. experiments, and you've added an extra one. It. <laughs> yeah. David, are you still <laughs> on the call, first of all? You couldn't tell from me going, ooh? <laughs> I, just, I, I honestly ooh. did not hear it. No, I didn't uh-huh. hear it either. <laughs> so you've added an extra screen onto this. So what was the extra screen you added for these speed comparisons? Okay, well, the top three, everybody already knows. The bottom three... Are using the fast load um, utility that uh, the person MySoft made. The bottom left one is uncompressed, which means there's no what they call run run length encoding in it. But that is using the 44 kilohertz digital signal, I believe, correct? It's still 44 kilohertz. The bottom center is 44 kilohertz. Um, and then the bottom right is using the 88 kilohertz, which, from what I understand, is using the Coco 3's double speed poke. Okay. Now, from MySoft, from his web page, he said that he's actually used this on a Coco 2, where it'll just distort the screen until it's done loading. But the one thing I'm worried about with the high-speed loading on a Coco 1 and 2 is that when you're in double-speed, full double-speed mode, your RAM refresh is disabled. So you do run the risk of of the DRAM losing bits. So Yeah, if you you turn it on and off in bursts, you can get it to sustain. Some of the music players back in the day did that where the song would basically play. But there's delays where you're waiting for the next you know, sample of the sound you're putting out to the DAC. They would actually shut it off and then turn it back on so the RAM refresh would get a chance to catch up. So now, if you did that technique, it might, might work. Now, the bottom left two, I have tested on, this goes back to Canadian retro things, his experiment with the CD player. The bottom left two, I have made a audio CD used a RCA, you know, basically a Walkman, and I put the CD in it and pressed play and did did the clodum, and it worked just fine from the CD player because CDs are 44 kilohertz. So, 
Um, so in summary, for those that missed last week, the top four are single, double, and quadruple speed, on which can be done on real tapes. That's been tested now, I think, and verified that real tapes will load at that, those speeds. Um, I don't know about the quad speed because, like I said, I do not have a. I think actual... one of the other guys that are, have been involved in the whole cassette thing, I think they said they did test it, if I remember correctly. I'm, on, I'm going to test it on um, Nakamichi decks and open reel as well, just out of curiosity. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty sure that'll work because it's much higher fidelity, but uh, yep. for those that just have and an it, average tape required, I'd be interested to verify that. Yeah, I'm going to try recording on one of the high end decks and then playing back on a CCR81 and see oh, how that that's works. That's a good idea because well. if it records mm. better, it might actually work. And then the bottom yeah. three are digital ones. These are normally ones you pull off of a good sound card in a PC or off your phone or something. I think the first one is the 44 kilohertz and the last two are the 88 kilohertz, correct, David? The last one is the 88. Oh, just the last one. Okay. So the first, uh, the, the the fourth one is 44 kilohertz and the fifth one is 44 with compression. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So this is Marble Maze, which is a 13 granule disc file. And now, David, you'd mentioned you actually did try, I think, on this particular one, you tried loading it off disk from a cold start where it has to do the seek to figure out where the directory track is. Yes. And so um, now what I did to verify, because you can do this in MAME too, because MAME's uh, disk emulation is relatively fair and it will buzz. And from the seeking, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the bottom right finishes a little before the floppy. So... So we now have a cassette running faster than a standard floppy on these large files, which is really cool. Yep. I won't play the whole video here because the, the, the actual Cocoa takes quite a long time to load this thing. But you see the digital copies that are running 10, 10 to 20 times faster already finished. Quad speed still going in the upper right, the double speed, which is what I used back in the day once we figured out how to get that to work properly. It still helped. I mean, 3,000 baud is a lot better than 1,500, but the upper right is running at 6,000, while the other ones are running at the equivalent of like several thousand, 3,200, et cetera. But it's, yeah. it's, it's been pretty cool. So does this mean you can uh, load or use uh, ease of use off of tape? <laughs> With DriveWire, kind of, yes. I mean, you could load the HDB DOS DriveWire thing a lot faster. You could even set up a ROM to auto-boot it if you wanted to off tape, and then you can actually connect to the DriveWire server and boot it off there. So. Yeah, the uh, <clears throat> if it was wasn't for uh, Alan from uh, AC's Eight Bit Zone, um, I wouldn't have gotten back into this because he did his modified wavetable stuff, and I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> hey, I could probably modify that to uh, make it so that the standard Coco One, Two, and Three um color basic routines would actually save out at 2x and yep. that's what got me started on this and then i'm like ooh, i could load all this in 4x on the coco 3 <laughs> so yeah, or then, the coco 2 if you did that you know switching between the double fast and, and regular just to give the ram refresh the sam enough time to refresh text from jeff mckenna um Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where that came from, and I don't know who that is. (laughs) Anyway, you did two speed comparisons here with the new six frame one. I won't play the Star Spores one, but though that's the one we did last week, so you can do a comparison uh, there compared to what we did last week. It basically adds the the one extra one. And maybe Dave, if he can cram even more onto the screen at once, he might even throw the disc one in just to show you that the uh, (laughs) the 88 kilohertz version actually on a Coco 3 is loading faster than disc does. Yeah, the uh, um, 
it took me a while to get the uh, whole FFmpeg stuff to get that nice layout the way you see it, because that's an actual full 1080p display right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been pretty cool. I wish we'd known some, well, I guess we didn't have digital decks then back in the day, but even doing the four times back in the day, if you'd, if, if you'd you know, given people the instructions to do that, because it's just a couple of pokes. I mean, we could have been mm. selling cassettes for 6,000 baud, which would have been you know, quite nice for the poor people that couldn't afford the disc drives. Oh, yeah, especially for those people from the Dragons that don't have the Dragon MMC, you know, use Audacity and do a few tricks here and there to double the speed. Because I have managed to get the Dragon, because uh, I used MAME to find the locations for doing the pokes to at least get the 2X working. Yeah, and I think Kieran had mentioned, he, he's mentioned some, even some commercial games did do that in the back in the day on the Dragon. Just wasn't really publicized as to how they did it. So, yeah. But with the digital, I mean, the the Dragons on the digital should be able to do the 10 times speed too then, right? Um, unfortunately, the tricks or hooks that uh, MySoft is using to, you know, go from his loader to then loading the next binary... He's hooking something in basic in his own routine, which doesn't work with the dragon's color basic because their stuff is in different places. So so it would work. It just needs to be patched differently. Yeah, it needs to be reworked so that there's a loader for the dragon. Okay. But I mean, we definitely know it's possible because it's using the same hardware for the cassette port that we do. So 10 times load speed is possible on the dragon with a digital cassette file. Okay, next up, uh, Bill Pierce. Is this the right one? No, I don't think it is. Yeah, I'll close it up. Well, I'll just mention it because it was a pretty quick thing. So Bill Pierce last week released the uh, update to VCC 2.10C, uh, which fixed a lot of things and added some options and stuff here. So we released a, a second release of it to fix some small bugs in the cut and paste feature, basically. Um, so there's not really a screenshot or anything to show you anyway, but... Um, there were some bugs with the, the cut and paste, cutting and pasting from your host OS side to, to VCC. So uh, that's been fixed. Um, if you can find any more bug reports, please send them off. He's, uh, we've been working together with him, testing EOU stuff. We'll be having an EOU update, I'll just mention right now, too, within the next two weeks, possibly one week. Uh, we've got quite a few fixes in there already. We're trying to get a couple more finished off before we do a release. That'll fix some of the problems with the hard drive one and stuff like that, so... Look look forward to that coming out, too, if you're into running Nitrous 9. Okay. So Don't this one, Simon's I think... Story. Yeah, I think this is Simon's... Uh, he did an update to his spinning Taurus demo. So the Taurus demo is originally from his Coco 3 uh, graphics demo, graphics and sound demo, I should say. And he ported the Taurus spinning uh, to the Coco 1 and 2 a week or two ago. I think we showed that video. So this one, he's actually added a split-screen effect as kind of a precursor to what he'll be adding later. So now you notice it's a completely different P mode on the top. It's not even the same resolution, not the same color, depth, nothing. While bouncing this, we can actually maybe do some scrolling text or some other things here. So he's using some timing tricks of uh, when the scan lines actually kick in. So uh, is Simon still on the call? Yep. He's in the yep, camera. I am. Sorry, I was just, uh, I was just out having a yeah, cooler nature. 
<laughs> so did you did you want to comment on what your plans for this are or or the technique? I don't know right now. I don't right know right now. It's just it's it's kind of a proof of concept because I could do so many different things on that screen. I mean, I was just kind of okay. Down the bottom we've got one twenty eight by ninety six, which is actually P mode one. Okay. You know? Yeah. The Taurus is running P mode one. And up the top we've got P mode four in a uh, green color set for here, but maybe some kind of um, sinus scroll or something, and some music in the background. And uh, but I can, I can split that screen in so many ways you wouldn't believe. Really, yeah. I can. I can you, put, you could put in a real hardware tech screen on there. You could put in multiple modes, different I scan can put lines. in as many modes as I want. Yeah, really. I could put overscan in the right hand border if I wanted to. That's cool. And that, that's just a case of overscanning the right-hand border, which no one has actually realized from YouTube videos I made years ago, is actually if you shift from a 16-byte to a 32-byte mode across the scan line, the VDG has to count it out. So it will push your graphics into the border. Oh, cool. I'm trying to remember, did, is that the same technique that the demo for doing some of the scrolling that uh, Kieran did on his Dragon page? He was doing kind of a Xevious game engine? I don't know, actually. I don't know, actually. Because he was doing lot. some weird Sam VDG timing tricks there to do some of the hardware scrolling on the Coco yeah. Man 2 as well. A lot of the stuff takes advantage of, of the undocumented DMA mode, which Tandy forbode, <laughs> which is <laughs> basically in, in 32-byte mode, you've got 42 bytes. So instead of if you're setting like P mode four, you just hit FFC three, FFC five. If you hit all three registers, you've got forty two byte wide screen. That's what Guardian uses. And if you do that in a sixteen byte mode, say uh, P mode one, if you do that in a sixteen byte mode, then you've got twenty two bytes wide. You know, uh, and and I I discovered a trick about timing at the bottom of the border where you can actually displace the screen left and right using this trick without anything else, just well-timed code. You can displace the screen by two bytes left and right. And it's regardless of the SAM registers. It's regardless of the 512 byte offsets. It doesn't care. Yeah, because the, the 42-byte mode, I know Guardian used that back in 83, and they just used it basically as a way to have their sprites be able to scroll off the side of the screens without actually having to do any clipping calculations. So it would just run yeah. a shape off the edge. Cause yeah, was, so you had, you, had that in the, you had that in the non-visible area. Yeah. <clears throat> You'd scroll off into the non-visible, but yeah, it was a nice easy way to cut down the CPU time of doing clipping calculations. Yes, it is. It is. It really, really is, you know, but you can use it for so many things. And we're really interested to see where you take this demo here because that, that's a pretty pretty cool demo going on. Well, yeah, I, I just I, I wanted to put the cocoa I wanted to put the Taurus on the Coco two, um, just for just for fun. And I don't know if any of you actually saw that Darren Atkinson did the MC ten. We did it last week on the show. Yeah, took it to the MC ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was uh, cool. Okay, well, definitely keep us posted, and if you come up with a pretty cool idea, surprise us. 
Yeah, well, I've got some. I've got some funkies in my head. <laughs> of course, some madness. Some madness is forthcoming, is what I'm hearing. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, next up, Carlos Camacho posted an old ad for the A Basic compiler, which I do remember hearing about back in the day. Uh, this was sold for OS nine and Flex um, for the Cocoa one and two and other six eight nine systems, uh, level one, you know, sixty four K systems, not requiring an MMU. And this was a full basic compiler. Like Basic 9 is a partial compiled. It, it compiles it kind of like J code for Java type thing. Uh, it's not right to assembly, but it's it's uh, somewhat compiled. But this A basic was a full blown compiler. And I remember Frank Hogg, I think, used to sell it, and a few other people, maybe Computerware or something. And uh, Carlos was wondering if anybody on the Coco actually still has this. I know I don't. Um, either either the Flex or the uh, OS 9 version, but it'd be interesting to see this and how does it compare speed-wise to Basic 9? I don't think, if I remember correctly, that the language was quite as full as Basic 9 was, so it was a bit more of a stripped-down basic, um, but it would be interesting to see. So if any of you or anybody listening here has the uh, access to any of those, either version of it, basically, if you want to get in contact with Carlos on Facebook or myself, I'd be interested in seeing that too, uh, just to see if we have a full-blown compiler for Basic on the uh, OS 9 and Flex operating systems, what you can do with it. Next up, we got a little video here from um, Terry Trapp of interfacing his P2. Now, I'm not familiar with the P2, so hopefully you guys can fill me in on this. Uh, and shows the P2 reading and displaying the Cocoa bus signals coming out of the cartridge port. So first of all, is anybody here familiar with the P2? Yeah, it says parallax, parallax on it, so it's probably like a controller board for robotics and stuff. I recognize the interface card, though. Okay. So there's a live read off the Cocoa bus itself, including what's in the data bus, what's on the address bus. So I mean, it'd be just by that by itself would be a good diagnostic tool, but I'm not sure where he's planning on taking this afterwards. As he puts in his comment, he's just messing around with the P2 and the Cocoa 3. So I do remember there's there's something similar on the Dragon. There's a board that you can add on that can also monitor some of the stuff and has a little LED screen. We showed it a couple months ago, I think, on Cocoa Talk. But um, as a diagnostic tool at the very least, but maybe you can do some other pretty you know weird and incredible things. I'm not a hardware guy, so this is kind of above my pay grade. But Google says that the P2 is the pair, uh, pr- pr- Propeller 2 board, which is the development board. Okay. Next up after that, we have an update. Um, Jim McClellan has been working on his McDraw. So we did, did the 1.1 update last week, and this week he's added another one, 1. 1.2, which you can download on the Facebook MC10 group. So this is a graphics editor for the MC10. And he's added a plot rectangle with fill option. Um, so filled box, basically. <laughs> Same as the line comma BF command on, on basic. This one I thought was really cool. So this is from, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Joel Barbie in France. So he's got his entire MC10 family. So he's got a French MC10 CCAM output AZERT layout keyboard on the bottom. And then he's got the Alice 4K and the Alice 32K model on the top with slightly different shades of red, it looks like. But that that's pretty rare. I've never really seen all three of them together like that. And it... Uh, 
It's it's pretty cool. I, I didn't realize the Alice actually had an official 32K. They didn't stop at 20K like the MC10 originally did. They sold away the 32K models. So, and of course, because it's compatible with the MC10, all the new hardware like the SDC or SDX32 and the SCX128 and all that stuff works with it too. So, you can expand them even beyond the 32K model they had back then. So, is that keyboard layout a French thing? Is it French or European? I'm not sure. Yeah, Azurdi is French. Yeah. Azurdi is French specific? Okay. So, Nick, you're closer to Quebec than I am. Do they have that type of keyboard common up there too? Or? No, I have not seen one. Okay. So, real French. France. French. <laughs> Send your letters to El Curtis Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> don't send them in French because I don't know how to read it. <laughs> Uh, next up, Alan had a second uh, one, which was pretty interesting. Is um, the MC six eight forty seven VDG chip draw black challenge responses? So we talked about his previous article, where set and reset weren't quite working the way he's expecting, setting a color of zero and stuff, and, and reading points were not quite working as he would have expected them to. So he got some responses. And uh, kind of goes through the, how the whole thing goes. He was also comparing the colors, and somebody had noticed that the NTSC test pattern that uh, Jason, which Jason was that? It just says Jason, I don't know. It's pretty oh. close to what the VDG actually outputs. So they think there's a bit of a relation as to why the colors that the VDG has were picked. They're not exactly the same, pretty close. I did a test pattern program for the MC10, but it might not be mine. So basically what what they found out is that CLS and CLS1, which both appear to clear the screen to green, aren't clearing with the screen, clearing with the same value. <coughs> CLS regular is clearing with the ASCII space. So that's one character code it writes to the screen. CLS1 is using the graphical one, character string 143. So if you actually peaked the screen after you clear with a CLS versus CLS1, even though visually it looks exactly the same, one's the hardware text character of the space, and the other one is the graphical character with the four blocks, which means if you're trying to do like points and stuff of the screen, you'll get like, a, I think it's a negative one or something. If you're reading the text screen, trying to read a graphical dot with the point command, and on the graphic screen, it'll actually read back saying it's a green dot, which is something I didn't know. So he kind of goes through some tests in here and stuff. And that also explains why the set reset on, on a CLS screen does not work the same as it does on a CLS one screen. So that was pretty interesting in itself too. So uh, mm. a lot of different, you know, give and take between Jim Gary and Karen and a few others here figuring this out. But that, that was actually interesting to me because I, I didn't know that either. Now, Alan did mention that he used to do a trick on uh, doing directories. If you wanted to lock a directory out from somebody from easily loading a program, I think you mentioned in the previous article, that was one way to do it because you could actually put a character string 143 into your file name when you're saving it. And it comes out as a perfectly normal space looking character on the screen, but you tried to load that program and give you a non-existent error because you're not doing the character string 143. You're doing a character string 32 for a space. So it was an interesting trick. I mean, if you knew what you were doing with disk I string, you could figure it out pretty quick, but uh, it was a nice, easy way to give you very simple copy protection. So really interesting article. That's funny because I ran into that that same thing with that CHR uh, one forty three. Uh, looking at an issue of T and D software, I was trying to uh, uh, for Sailor Man was uh, trying to bring my copy of Sailor Man from the uh, 
from the TND disc to my SDC. And uh, I ran into that. I'm like, it doesn't have a name. But when I went over to the 40 column screen, I was able to see that extended extended character. I'm like, ah, that's what that, that yeah, there shows it is. high bit European characters and stuff instead. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. Weren't embedded backspace characters also fun? Oh, yeah, there's a ton of things you could put like you could do graphic blocks like a lot of people do directors that draw little pictures. I know Simon's done that a few times, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have stuff like backspace. You could do um, like even in OS 9 that works, to be honest. You can send escape code sequences that change the color of the font right in the middle of a directory entry. So I could I used to do little banners like the title of the director would clear the screen and put the banner with you know a blue background or something and switch back to black and go and list the rest of the file. You could put in backspaces. You could even embed graphics commands if you're on a graphics one and suddenly have to draw a circle just doing a dir. Unfortunately, sort programs and some other things really bust if you do that. So I don't tend to do it too much anymore. <laughs> it, it it was actually like if you guys remember, I used to do a little series probably a year or two ago called stupid nitrous nine tricks. That was one of the ones I was going to show off, but I, then I thought better of it because if I encourage people to do that, they're going to fry their own discs and stuff and make files unreadable. So I thought I'd better take the safety route. Put it in your username. <laughs> I'm going to show you okay. how to do this. Now don't do it. <laughs> OS nine tricks. Well, that's why I didn't try. I didn't explain how to do it back then. So, but yeah, Bill and I used to do that at work all the time just to be cute. Next up, 8 Bits in the Basement. Now, he did this really interesting video here. Um, he's our friend from originally from Ireland, now living in France. So this is on a Cocoa 1 and 2. And there was a book uh, published that was basically to do hardware projects. And uh, it shows here. And this this one was meant for multi-platform. So it showed how to do hardware projects of VIC-20 and uh, Cocoa 2 and some of the other you know 8 Bits at the time. And in this particular one, it's a light sensor. So it has a little explanation of how the light sensor works. You plug in the joystick port and it reads the potentiometer equivalent values of the, how bright the light is. So he runs through the uh, thing and he actually picks up one of these little light sensors here, plugs it in the joystick port. And you can see here on the text, it's actually reading level and he puts his hand over top of the sensor. You can see it darkens and if you, you know, shine a light on it, it brightens up type thing, which is cool in and of itself. And then the second example program actually gave you a little bit of a uh, graphical thing. So you can kind of see, I'll just play a few seconds here. So you can see he's blocking the sensor on the top of the TV where you put it. And then you can see it's live reading the, the thing. Now, the book has those two example programs. And then it says you should think of what else you can do with it. So he decided to take the ball and run with that. So he made a burglar alarm which is a pretty amusing bit here. Uh, so we wrote a quick little basic program that reads it and basically just is able to tell if by scanning the brightness, because he basically starts with a dark room and then it, if it detects a light going up, uh, the alarm goes off. And the funny thing was he added time, so he had to run out of the room, shut all the lights off, and then come back in. So I'll just play that a little bit because it's amusing. Uh, let's see here. So here's just shutting the lights off, so I'll start there. I'll hit it, enter, I'll go in here and I'll close this door behind me. And I'll go in as it should. When I open that door again, the burglar alarm should go off. Here we go. Okay, so I come and rob you. Oh my God. Isn't that amazing? Now. So I thought that was a pretty interesting way to, to use it. 
And you you probably could change a program too, so it can take the light content of the room normally, like even if it's just dim and not dark, and like it averages out when it first runs, and then you could actually figure if it goes too far off that base level that you set for whatever your room darkness normally is, then it could kick in the alarm. <laughs> you could even get fancy and you'll kind of gradiate it. if it's getting in the evening. Your the program will notice it's dimming, but very slowly, and you can kind of adjust your base level from that and see if there's a sudden change. But then you decided to take it. Okay. A form of real-time clock there. You could have it so that uh, at different parts of the day, yeah. it comes it's up with a different average, now, and, it yeah. no, and it knows what time you broke in. <laughs> <laughs> then he decided to take it even further. He decided to make it into a joystick with buzzard bait. So this, I knew Nick Morota would like this part. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to see if we can find the part here. So basically, he's got it so that the the light's reading him. He's got to, he's backlit. So if he leans to either side, it'll catch more or less of the light. So now, buzzard bait controlling your left and le- right movement is done by tilting your entire body back and forth. It's kind of like an early version of the Wii. <laughs> yeah. But how do you press the button? Well, he hasn't got that, and he hasn't got flying up and down yet. So head butt the screen to press the button. <laughs> this is early prototyping stage, I guess you can basically say. So. This one section of his video is called Becoming the Joystick. So I thought I'd play some of that. There we go. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now you have to right. Go to the right. Don't die. Go to the left. Ah, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let me start again. <laughs> okay. So we go the other way. That's Excellent. cool. Now we go back here. Run that way. It's almost okay, VR. I can go to the right. Yeah. There we go. And I can go to the left. Excellent. Huh. And again to the right, get him. No, okay, he got So me. now when he finally dies, he actually gets materialized as one of the upper ones. So now he gets to kill a few things. Okay, here we go. We're going to get someone this time. We'll fly a little bit. We'll see if we can get someone. You run to the right there. Once I appear. Yay, we got one. <laughs> and I got the egg. Excellent. Excellent. Look this up to an elliptical, you got an IPO. I really think this could catch on (laughs) as a way to play video games. This is fantastic. Look at me running here. And now I'm going back the other way, although I can't really fly or anything. That's okay. Who needs to fly? I am in control of my joust. But I can see that you, if you actually tied this to like both potentiometers for X and Y for different lighting at different slides, you could actually get some further movement. If I could flap And then you just need to have an external button you attach to the interface so that you can actually click the buttons. And you actually could make some games dependent on this that would literally be like a Wii. That's really cool. And the light sensor, from what he said, is like dirt cheap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, ben Drakes, of course, who is another buzzer bait fan and also you know master of VR from the company works for, says the dream of VR buzzer bait lives on. <laughs> and we watch the whole video. He kind of goes the whole explanation of setting it up and programming it and stuff. There, and it's it's pretty it's pretty darn cool. Someone's ringing. Yeah. It's yeah. Right. <laughs> Okay, and the last loud. one is a video from somebody I've not heard of before called uh, Bally Alley. And uh, he's a person that collects some retro systems. So he's got Bally's, he's got TN9994As, et cetera. And he had a Coco way back in the day and he just got one. He got a call from a relative that was getting rid of a Coco 3, didn't really know what it was. So he picked it up and he, he basically gets a Coco 3 128K, um, Springster cartridge, manuals, and a deluxe joystick. 
and he's kind of learning as as he as the video is going on. He like reads the manual. He thought he had a busted uh, RGB connector because there's a pin missing, and then he reads the manual. No, there's not supposed to be a pin there. That's that's it's keyed that way. <clears throat> and goes into it. So I've actually reached out to him to see if he can catch Kogu talk and maybe discuss some of the things because he's not sure if he wants to keep it or not. And I think from the talk of some of the other systems he's got and what he's been using them for, I think he would be interested in the Coco three, maybe with an expansion or two added on to it, like an SDC, et cetera. So I've reached out to him on his uh, YouTube page to see if, uh, a, if we will catch the show. And then two, if maybe if you, you want some further information and stuff, you could ask us questions, et cetera. I haven't heard back from him yet. Cause I just did that this morning before the show started, but uh, it's a pretty, pretty interesting video from seeing somebody that's like, you know, kind of faintly remembers using a Coco two back in the day and trying to remember things and then trying to figure out things on the Coco that he just received. So I'll, I'll keep an eye on his page and see if he does any responses. Maybe we can get him on the show later on too. So, and that is it for the news. Hmm. I'm going to wake up again now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now everyone stretch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, that was everything I had on the agenda for today. Yeah, I knew it was going to be a shorter show. I mean, I know we get to catch up the updates. Uh, I didn't know how long that was going to take, but I knew the news was quite a bit shorter than previous. And I know that Stevie, who was hoping to be on originally before he got too tired, uh, you wanted a shorter show anyway. So, yeah. But with the holidays over, I think, you know, people are back to work. I think the news will slow down for a bit here, which is good because it was getting to be quite a bit. <laughs> okay. Well, is there anything we else, can... or should we hit the outro? Well, now we need to have David Ladd talk about uh, each individual floppy sector and no, no, uh, you can uh, what he would plug into an multi-pack interface. <laughs> no, he'd be talking about each side of the tape, wouldn't he, this time? Yeah, it's, uh, and each then the new segment, the uh, yes. Which, which track on the tape? Depends yeah, yeah, on the yeah. type oh. of tape drive, Jason. because certain tape drives have two heads... <laughs> Some have four four this. tracks. Let's watch the Facebook numbers plummet now. <laughs> I, I thought we were going to go into the new, new segment of uh, In, what uh, would David Ladd plug into a multi-pack? There are certain um, states here in Australia where people have two heads. Oh, you mentioning two heads there, David Ladd, I think? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Push the button, Frank. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to push the button. Roll that, we really roll that after a footage. <laughs> this concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. 
Cutco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marentes, Rondell Vo, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Back. I thought we were leaving. Not for long. <laughs> Hello, I must be going. We're all gonna be saying goodbye. Push the button. Push the button, Frank. Uh, push the button. Say goodbye, button. everybody. Yeah, bye, everybody. Sure, sure, everyone, this week.